0: Hello and welcome to the CFB Winning Edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by Nick, Nicholas, Ian, Allen, Nick, Allen, Coach Allen. Uh, any single nickname you, you want to have for Nick, you could have. Um, uh, you, you can find him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge, Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And we got all the entries. It's done, Nick. We know everyone who is moving on to the next level in college football. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and uh, it finally feels like the offseason. We're starting to, to uh, yeah. you know, actually learn some things, know exactly who is uh, gone. Now, you know, what was it, 99 uh, juniors left early for the NFL draft uh, I think this that's year. actually down
0: from last year though isn't it that's what I had heard yeah yeah so so
1: you know now we we finally know we don't have to speculate anymore who's it going to be uh, a couple of surprises as far as people coming back uh, for next year but yeah now now that things are you know officially, in the book starting to get a little bit clearer picture, you know, in, in January, obviously it's still way, way too early, but getting a little bit clearer picture as to, you know, what teams are going to look like looking ahead to next year.
0: And I can't believe, uh, I mean, I guess I can believe, but, uh, Xavier Travis Etienne going back to school kind of shocked me to, if if I'm being honest, I was very surprised because, I think they're, you know, running the running back position uh, gets worn out the fastest out of any position in the NFL. So I was kind of surprised he didn't take his money and run. Well,
2: it doesn't surprise me when I look at the rest of the running back class. Uh, When you look at DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, and Jonathan Taylor, is he better than any of those three running backs? If that's a no for you, then he's losing a lot of money by coming out this year, where I think he can come back. Have an even more amazing year, which is to be expected with uh, Clemson returning a lot of their offensive production next year outside of T. Higgins. So he may have a better year and possibly go first or second round next year, be one of the first or two, uh, one or two running backs taken off the board, and what would be, in my opinion, a far weaker running back class. So money wise, somebody he must have put his name out there. It came back maybe as a fourth rounder, late third, and he was like, you know what, I'm gonna go back to school
0: i i feel like and nick correct me uh if you think i'm wrong here i feel like he went back because clemson lost the national title game more than anything
1: uh, that's that's possible i mean i i know in his uh you know the the statement that he put out when he decided you know announced that he was coming back it said something about unfinished business so whether that's National championship, or maybe you know, make a run at a Heisman Trophy, something like that. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe maybe he loves Clemson and just didn't wanna didn't wanna leave. That you know, we we uh, chuckle a little at, at stuff like that sometimes. But you know, there there's that potential, and and Clemson did return uh, you know that great defensive line class, three of which I believe were seniors who certainly could have left after a, a junior season they came back and then won the national title after the 2018 season so maybe he's you know thinking along those lines uh, it's hard to hard to say for sure uh, but I was definitely surprised I, I certainly didn't see it coming you know running backs uh, top end running backs uh, hardly ever come back for their senior year anymore and, and you know besides Potentially making a run at a at a Heisman, which I don't know that any player really uh, keeps that in the back. Of, you know, I don't I don't really know that that's what anybody necessarily uh, is shooting for as their this number is so one. It's so impossible thing. to predict, right? Yeah. Right. But but you know, besides that, I, I'm not sure what else he's got to prove. I mean, he's got two 1,000 yard seasons. He's averaged over seven yards a carry each of his first three years. Uh, he's put on weight, so he you know he runs with power. His first couple of years, he seemed just like a, you know, just a speed guy that didn't really necessarily run with a a real physical style. But he's he's proven that as well, in my opinion. So uh, I was I was definitely surprised. But uh, as a as a college football fan, uh, I love to watch him play, and I'm I'm excited to get to see one more year of it.
0: Now uh, on the sheet here, and I love this question. um, You said who was hit the hardest by? players leaving for the NFL draft. And, you know, Alabama is always going to be in this discussion, right? I mean, and this year is no different. They lose Jerry Judy, Terrell Lewis. uh, uh, I want to call him Xavier, uh, Xavier McKinney, (laughs) uh, Henry Ruggs, Tua and Jedrick Wills all to the NFL draft. But it's impossible to say that LSU wasn't hit the hardest. I I saw a tweet that said that they lost. 94% 94% of their uh, passing yards, uh, it was because Joe Burrow leaves, obviously, uh, is something along the lines of uh, 79% of their receiving yards uh, with guys. And this isn't necessarily uh, guys leaving early either, but they they leave uh, uh, Clavion Chieson, uh Charles, uh, Cushemberry, Delpit, Edward Zelair Justin Jefferson, Thaddeus uh, Moss, Uh, Jacob Phillips and Patrick Queen all leaving early plus the guys that are seniors like Burrow and others that are leaving uh, in this class I mean it's just it's LSU and then there's a mudslide and then there's everybody else right
1: (laughs) yeah it seems that way I mean we we talked about the last couple of shows, we've mentioned, you know, some NFL draft teams and things like that. And I think the first time it came up, it was looking like Alabama certainly was going to be hit hardest as usual, and then Georgia was in that mix as well because we had just learned Jake Fromm was leaving. They had, uh, you know, one offensive lineman we expected, but then two more that maybe a couple of months ago didn't necessarily expect to be leaving early. But uh, LSU, you know, we we just didn't know. Uh, until early, uh, or you know, not just a few days after the the national championship game, we we thought Edward Allaire would go. Pretty sure Justin Jefferson would go, uh, and, and certainly there was, uh, you know, Delpit. Seemed to be one foot out the door and, you know, th- thought that maybe they'd lose a linebacker or two. I underestimated, I guess, the the losses that they would get at, at linebacker. I mean, I thought Chasen probably, uh, that certainly made sense. He had a huge year, uh, was very, very highly regarded. Uh, it sort of flew under the radar as far as a lot of people thinking about the NFL draft because he's listed as a sophomore because he missed basically all of uh, one season due to injury and was able to redshirt. But uh, Patrick Queen just came out and dominated the national championship game. Certainly, you know, elevated his stock in my eyes, and and you know, probably put him on some radars that maybe he hadn't been before. But you know, then again, maybe he's been there all along. Not sure. But then they also lose Jacob Phillips, so three out of the four starters at linebacker you know delpit's gone christian fulton graduated uh two of their starters two of their three starters on the defensive line were seniors that are gone so i mean they're you know two offensive linemen so now they've got to replace uh four of their five full-time starters on the offensive line so lsu is certainly uh, i think you're absolutely right hit hardest by a mile they're going to look very very different from a personnel standpoint. And then of course they've also now got to rebuild their coaching staff as well. So, uh, they're, they're uh, going to be a much, much different team in in 2020 than they were, uh, in 2019.
0: Uh, I mean, Xavier, is it, is it even close? It's LSU. I mean, Bama lost a lot of players. Ohio state lost Dobbins and Akuta and chase young. That's a huge blow. Uh, the two best players at Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, left in Kenneth Murray and CeeDee Lamb too. So I'm not saying that there are other teams that aren't impacted, but it's easily LSU, correct?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you look at Georgia and you go, okay, they may have lost their entire starting lineup barring their center. I'm not
0: going to feel bad for Georgia when <laughs> they just got the number one five-star quarterback recruit for next year already.
2: Yeah. That quarterback is going to be stacked next season. Um, <laughs> But no, it's it's definitely LSU. I, I, I honestly think that um, LSU fans really need to savor this one because it's going to be a while maybe until they're back at the point that they were this season. I mean, they lost, you know, what has been generational talent for them. Uh, you know, obviously Burrow and edwards Lair is going to be a huge loss, although they, had the number one, they have the number one running back from 2018 um, in their backfield coming back next year. Obviously, defensively, replacing a guy like Delpit is no easy feat. Um, yes, they still keep Stingley, but, you know, him, a large part of why Stingley was so good is because coming into the year, Christian Fulton was thought to be the better corner. So they, you know, it allowed Stingley to get uh, reps and to become comfortable on his side of the field. So when people finally started to attack him, he knew, you know, he, he was able to hold his own and then exceed. Um, I mean, it's, man, I, it's weird to see a team win a national championship and everybody depart like they did um normally you'd see guys maybe want to make a repeat but maybe they know what a lot of people know and that without Brady and we'll get to him um and without uh, Aranda and now and definitely without their starting quarterback in Burrow they might not be able to do what they did again this year. Uh so yeah, LSU fans savor this one cuz it may be a while till you're back to this point.
1: So I wonder- Go ahead. One, one quick note, I, I just pulled up, I've got my, you know, the, the 2019 FBS team profiles up on, on one side of my screen, and I have the the uh, beta version, I guess we should say, of the 2020 pulled up, and so I've got a, a thing up at the top, these different information boxes that, that keep track of certain things, and one of them is, uh, you know, average 247 rating for the team as a whole, and then the offensive uh side and or offensive starters and the defensive starters and and one just thing that that you know I notice immediately uh of course is is the uh, defensive starters are, are losing a good chunk uh for sure and we you know we talked about the linebackers hit hard and and all those starters but oddly enough the uh as they're currently set up and I haven't even put in uh the you know the incoming recruiting class yet into the 2020 side, and and I know LSU is, as always, going to bring in a a lot of talent uh, in this upcoming class, but the offensive starters, uh, who I've got penciled in at this point, actually uh, are about 10% uh, higher rated than the outgoing 2018 class. So, from a, a, you know, just pure potential standpoint, the offense is going to be loaded again uh you know that that includes miles brendan who came in was was mm-hmm. you know highly recruited uh was a, a pretty you know had a, a pretty significant higher uh rating coming out of high school than joe burrow did now miles Brennan, obviously you know they brought in joe burrow and, and didn't hand it over to him for a reason so you know maybe there, there's something there but uh the lsu is is going to be Dangerous as always. They're certainly going to have to rebuild. You know, Xavier, I think you're right that they're not necessary. You know, 2020 uh, uh, 20 does not seem like, you know, the year of the repeat for for LSU, but uh, I don't think they're going to be, you know, down and out. And I don't think, even if they do take a step back, I don't think it's going to be for long because, I mean, the talent is, is you know, they've got high end talent all over the field and especially on offense.
0: We're going to replace them in the, uh, playoffs with texas of course everyone knows that <laughs> uh, but if lsu i think is one and um alabama has to probably be two who are the other teams losing the most is it ohio state because it's top end talent i mean a&m is losing a lot obviously georgia losing a ton as well I- iowa has to be in there too because epinesa mm-hmm. uh, tristan wirfs geno stone and torn young are all going. And to be honest, I know it's only one player, but Kentucky, I think, just (laughs) losing Lynn Bowden could be put in that group as well, right? Yeah. I
1: think so. I I think you bringing up Iowa is a great point because that's probably, you know, two first-rounders at least in FNS and and worse. Uh, And then uh, I think two teams sort of down at the the, bottom end of, of the alphabet kind of stick out to me, Washington and, and Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, Washington offensively is losing, you know, three of their most talented players. Uh, I think Jacob Sermon is going to be fine. It seems like he's going to be, you know, the, the uh, heir apparent to Jacob Beeson at quarterback, but still, you know, losing a starting quarterback is always big. Salvin Ahmed is is one of the most dynamic running backs uh, in the country. Unfortunately, he just really wasn't able to get going full speed this past year. I'm, I'm a little bit sad that uh, you know he decided to leave early because it would have been great to see him fully healthy and, and sort of as the focal point of the offense. Uh, and Hunter Bryant is one of the most athletic tight ends I've seen in a long time and, and uh, is a playmaker at that position matchup uh, you know matchup nightmare in a lot of ways so I think they're hit hard and I think Wisconsin just sort of the the top end guys that they lost also all three on offense Jonathan Taylor who is an all-timer at running back Um, you know there's plenty of taco oh, you can replace running backs and, and all and that's true but Taylor was a special special player for Wisconsin so his his uh, you know his presence will sorely be missed uh, the center that they lost all american center is uh difficult to replace one of the you know top at his position in the country and then their offense took a, a huge step forward in 2019 because quintes cephas came back and gave them a dynamic option in the vertical passing game we could stretch a defense uh, and I think that's where they made their their biggest uh growth from 2018 when they disappointed to 2019 when they played in the Rose Bowl yeah, who and was so the for last those three, big
0: Wisconsin wide receiver was a what was it Lee Evans I mean it's been a while yeah
1: yeah, yeah. It's, been a long time. it's been a while yeah Lee Evans I, I would have to say and and so you know to to uh lose just that specific trio is is difficult uh and they'll they'll you know, reload. Wisconsin has done a great job of developing players and finding players that other people uh, have overlooked. But that trio in particular is going to be difficult to replace for a team that you know. I was sitting down and looking at uh, the early, early 2020 ratings, uh, thought, okay, Wisconsin perhaps, even though they lost Taylor's, is going to be the favorite in the West. But then, oh, they lose, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name uh beatus or something uh, i'm sorry uh, the center and uh, <laughs> yeah uh, and I, I, I,
0: I heard somewhat... it the first time when you said the center i was like yeah i know i don't have it phonetically spelled in front of me either so it's uh yeah. it's yeah. impossible
1: I, his name i forgot right? to Forgot to make that note in the in the sheet, but <laughs> then I was I was a little bit surprised to see him leave. Probably shouldn't have been. He had a great year, and and you know did take that offensive a step forward. But that trio in particular, it's going to be difficult to replace. So I think now you know Minnesota has a a, a really strong case, perhaps as that preseason favorite in the in the Big Ten West, just because they you know have a little bit uh, less to replace, uh, or at least from you know a top end than Wisconsin does, perhaps.
0: Yeah, uh, who would you say benefits the most from uh, the the players staying in school? Because I mean, Bama got a lot of those guys too. Najee Harris stayed. Um, you know, I, I for whatever reason. Uh, oh, um, Moses stayed. I mean, they they mm-hmm. have some mm-hmm. decent uh, kids coming back, right? Devonte Smith as well. I mean, yeah. um, so who who would you say? Uh, Xavier, we'll start with you as uh, the CBS video, of course, has to start playing when I bring this article up. But uh, who who would you say? I mean, Oklahoma State, Chuba Hubbard State. That's Ooh. what I was going to go with. Okay, yeah. all right. Is that the best one?
2: For, for, I mean, for me... It's got to be. I mean, you're bringing back your two best players um, this year, and Chuba Hubbard's coming back. And I believe Taylor Wallace also said he was coming back to school, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so you're, you're bringing back almost, you know, Chuba Hubbard was Oklahoma State's offense. And we all remember what Taylor Wallace did two years ago, absolutely tearing up the Big 12. And you bring both of those back. You bring back a healthy quarterback. And, I mean, Oklahoma State, you've got to look at, at least offensively, comes in the next year as a team that can definitely uh, – be atop the Big 12. Um, they finished, what, 8-4 and four this year, you know, losing a heartbreaker to a, 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 a middle-of-the-road Texas A&M team. Uh, but you really felt like if they had Taylor and Wallace and if they had a healthy QB all year, the team that the team would have finished with a better record. So you definitely have to look at them first. I will say, just to piggyback off of what Nick said about the teams losing a lot, a team that we didn't mention was Florida. I think Florida's losing a lot of defensive talent. Uh, they're losing Zuniga this offseason, uh, Grenard, C.J. Henderson goes, Marco Wilson leaves, um, Jeremiah Moon is leaving, uh, David Reese goes as a senior. This team was led a lot by elder statesmen. Um, You have to also look offensively with Van Jefferson, Tyree Cleveland, Freddie Swain. These are guys, these are names that have been playing at Florida for a very long time. And for them to leave, they're leaving big holes in the spots that they are. Um, And I'd like to see, can Florida um, now, under Dan Mullen, can he recruit these spots um, accordingly and, and replace with the kind of talent that's necessary?
0: So- Nick, I'll put you on the spot. Can you look at the numbers of uh, like you did for LSU where you mm-hmm. know, the recruiting classes are bringing in and it's it's actually better for LSU as far as 247 rating goes? What, what would that be at Florida? Because this is a team that's lost a little luster, but... Uh, Florida always has great recruiting classes as well. So Xavier brings up that great point. Can what what would you what what do the numbers say as far as the players that Florida's losing?
1: So as, as far as what I've got listed for their offensive starters, defensive starters, and then the team overall, it it looks like Florida's actually on average, just player by player, uh, going to see a little bit of an uptick uh, in all three areas. So uh, the you know offensive starter they they're pulled down a little bit because Kyle Trask just was not a you know, it was basically an unknown coming out of high school I mean he was a sub uh 80 rated player from 247 sports and and I think uh you know I'm, I'm not sure that I'm necessarily a Kyle Trask believer I've heard a lot of people are uh, pretty excited about him but um you know his his, his uh 79 87 rating is actually pulling this down but for their offensive starters uh, in 28 or 2019 from what I've got they're basically a uh, 90.06 on average and looking ahead to 2020 it's 90.96 the defensive starters they actually jump up a a good bit in uh, 2019 uh, at the end of the season and this doesn't include uh, C.J. Henderson because he sat out the bowl game um, mm-hmm. but they were eighty-seven, ninety-four, and in uh, 2020 it's looking like they're going to be a 92.3 and part of that is they added Britton Cox the five-star uh, former Georgia signee who mm-hmm. uh, is probably going to step into one of their starting linebacker uh, positions and, and they do uh, I, have, I have Jeremiah Moon as coming back uh, okay. So I might have to double check that, but uh, I had him as a listed as a junior this this past year, so he'd be a senior uh, coming up, and, and, Tony's and hopefully coming he'll be able to. So Tony is nice. coming back. He yeah, was also uh, under uh, uh, was also a, a lower uh, rated recruit than you would expect, but uh, they also added Lorenzo Lingard, the former. Five-star uh, Miami running back, who I don't have listed as a starter, but is an elite talent. Uh, so, I, I Florida's pretty high for for me. I I think you brought up a great point with the receivers because uh, they were one of the highest-rated receiving groups uh, as far as our numbers go in the country. Just from a pure talent standpoint, I don't think they necessarily took the best advantage of that talent. Um, but uh, with Kyle Pitts coming back, who's uh, you know in that group, you know, I mentioned Hunter Bryant uh, is one of the most fun tight ends to watch in the country, and, and Grimes coming back uh, was big for them. Six foot five, wide out, and, and so they they've certainly got some talent there. But um, uh, they did, you know, they're they're going to have to rebuild up front defensively. That is going to be you know a big deal. They lost David Reese, who's the leading tackler uh, and linebacker, so they certainly have some questions, but, uh, Florida just from, uh, you know, comparing what I've got in front of me, 2019 to 2020, looks like they're in a decent spot at this point. You know, we'll see what happens. Of course.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a lot to be said for experience, of course, too. But, um, I think, uh, Florida state, cause they're bringing back Marvin Wilson and, uh, Terry is coming back as mm-hmm. well. Uh, I think they're, they're another team that, that gets boosted up a little bit. Oregon, Obviously losing Justin Herbert sucks, but bringing back Thomas Graham and, um, uh, why can't I think of the running backs name? Verdell. Uh, I yes. think bringing up Verdell. Both Verdell. those mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. back. And there's a, a, a chance
1: Juwan Johnson, the wide receiver, uh, I believe is applying for a sixth year of eligibility. I, I thought really? I, maybe, maybe I got that. No, uh, no, I'm sorry. I got him confused with, uh, George Campbell.
0: Geez, okay. there's only fifteen thousand uh, players. Can't you keep them all straight, uh, Nick? So Come on. I know.
1: I was thinking highly rated uh, transfers, but but yeah, Oregon. You know they they've got some some rebuilding to do at linebacker, but the secondary is coming back absolutely loaded. Kayvon Thibodeau at, at uh, you know the pass rusher, uh, basically joining the other two returning starters uh, on the defensive line. They're they're definitely going to be in good shape, and and actually in that. Uh, you know, in the Pac 12, one of the teams that I think uh, avoided, you know, some, some catastrophe perhaps was USC. They did lose okay. Austin Jackson at, at left tackle, which is going to hurt because they certainly still have room for improvement on the offensive line, but they were able to bring back uh Tyler Vaughn's. Who has that opportunity to really step in and become that number one guy now that Michael Pittman is gone? Uh, They brought back uh, all of their running backs, none of which have have really just gone off and had huge careers, but uh, Stephen Carr was very highly rated. Uh, Vave Malapai was was, uh, also a solid, solid guy. Both of those were juniors. They're both coming back. Um, The. Defensive line, Jay uh, Tufele, is a third-year sophomore and one of the best defensive linemen in the Pac-12. He's going to be back. Um, they they lose a little bit at linebacker, but uh, they had so many injuries last year. I, you know, if they're able to stay healthy, um, if, if we have time, we'll get to this later. But USC, I'm, I'm at this point, it, it makes me... Uh, just incredibly nervous, but I'm very high on
2: USC. They bring back a lot. Well, and and we've got to talk about it. Uh, (laughs) Utah has to have been losing at at least got to be top five for losing the most because both Huntley and Zach Moss are both graduated. I mean, these are guys that have taken Utah to heights. They haven't been to in a very long time. So, I mean,
1: and Jalen Johnson, Javelin Guidry in the secondary, basically because those guys left early And then three other uh, experienced guys graduated there. They're having to rebuild their secondary and they're rebuilding their defensive line. Utah lost a ton. You're absolutely right.
0: So I got to ask this question before we move on. Nick, since um, players that go to the NFL are dead to you and you no longer watch (laughs) them, who are you most disappointed to see leave early? Because you just wanted to see one more year of whoever it was. So you can, it can be a surprising guy or it could be a guy like Jerry Judy who is just unbelievably talented. So you hate to see him go play wherever and not in college. Uh, so who, who would you, if you had to pick one, who would you say that guy is?
1: It, it's a good question. And Judy is one that came to mind, but I am sort of excited to see that receiver group thin out a little bit at Alabama. <laughs> one, I, I want to see... More from Jalen Waddle. I, yeah. I want to see more of him as a receiver. So I'm I'm excited to see him and Devonta Smith be like the two guy. You know, the, the-
0: Xavier. These guys, uh, like the the guys leaving, are so dead that Nick can't even talk about them. He only is still <laughs> talking about guys that are gonna play next year.
2: He's gonna reason refer to them by their number, not by their name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> who's the guy, Nick? Come on, who's the guy that you're gonna miss? You you can say who would it. Who is it?
1: I'm, I'm trying to uh, let me let me pull up the list here I've already forgotten I, I, they're already just out of my mind uh, Isaiah Simmons was was a tough ah, guy yes. yeah uh, he, he was incredible in in you know just all season all the versatility that he's got so much fun you brought up Lynn Bowden uh was a, had a just a really really special year um, would love to see him more antoine Winfield jr at Minnesota yeah that's uh, a good one. Left as a third-year sophomore, he was. I did Minnesota today. Their update to 2020, and and he had one of the most productive years of any any defensive player, probably any player in the country. Uh, I was going through and making sure my uh, the production points were, were up to date. He had 17 production points this year, which is just nuts. I mean that that's you know Jonathan Taylor would be around seventeen production points. That's just because he ran for hundred yards every week. So uh, you know that he he was uh, uh, a lot of fun to watch, highly highly productive. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed in uh, a couple of the you know fringe guys that probably aren't. First rounders, but still decided to leave early at Notre Dame and and Texas A and M because I was very high on both of those teams. I, I initially, uh, when I was starting to chart out my you know too early 2020 ratings, I thought Notre Dame might be able to sneak into the top five in the preseason, and then Texas A and M uh, returned. They had, I believe, two seniors total on offense and two seniors total on defense last year neither of which were full-time starters if, if memory serves but they lost four guys to the NFL draft including a couple of wide receivers which that's a pretty important position as far as returning production goes it, it's really highly correlated to, to strength from one year to the next how much receiving production returns so uh, just the fact that we won't really see Notre Dame potentially at full strength, and Texas A&M at the full strength of what they could have been. Uh, I, I'm going to miss that a little bit as well.
0: Opposite Nick. question for you, Xavier. Who <laughs> who are you excited to see go to the pros?
2: Okay. Nick, how many points did Antoine put up this year?
0: 17.
2: And he didn't I- finish as a finalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Okay, just wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all
1: right. Um, Which, by the way, I- like five is a lot.
2: Right, <laughs> yeah, play. five. Is in, a lot, in, right. in one
1: exactly. season, five production points is a lot. He has seventeen, so okay. if that doesn't mean anything to you know somebody who hasn't actually looked at our our team profiles, which you should. Uh, the uh, yeah, that that's a huge number.
2: Just so just what we're saying is, writers go watch some more Minnesota football. So I'm saying. Um, so you said, who am I? Who am I happy to see come back? Well, obviously, the first one has to be Travis Etienne. Um, I mean, he's an amazing football player. To see him come back and play one more year with that uh, Clemson team, you know, which obviously has to come in being one of the favorites for next season, uh, is going to be fun to watch. Um, I also had an answer to your uh, player that I'm going to miss, and it's honestly because he didn't have a good year. Um, and that's LaVisca Chanel. I really wanted to see him come back for his senior year. I felt like he had um, a really down year, and it was unfair to him because Colorado could never seem to get on track uh, first year under Mel uh, Mel Tucker, it, it just didn't pan out the way they may may have wanted it to. He obviously only finished with 762 yards, which we know he's far more capable than doing that. He saw a lot of double teams this year. It was really and, and they and they put him at running back sometimes to even get him the football in most games. Um, it was tough to to see such a talented kid not have a the year that you would expect. Uh, so that was probably my two guys, Travis Etienne coming back, Lavisca not leaving. Um, so yeah.
0: I can't wait to see Jalen Rager play football with the quarterback like. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that's who I'm most excited to see at the next level, plus to see what he runs and does in the combine and all that stuff. Not that the combine matters. I mean, let's let's not forget how far DK Metcalf fell because he was stiff in his three cone drill. And, um, you know, that's he, not the only reason he's uh, he eliminated the <laughs> Eagles in the playoffs <laughs> by himself.
2: He had hand, he had hands like frying pans at Ole Miss. Let's not talk about it.
0: Right. He wasn't even
2: his, his hands weren't great at Ole Miss. He had a lot of drops.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, but, it could be that uh, he doesn't seem to have that many drops with Russell Wilson. So, I mean, he, he, he's just a better player in the pros. So fair um, enough. Fair enough. Let's get, let's talk about some of the coaching moves here and there. hasn't, have, haven't been a tub, a ton, but, uh, Baylor landed on a guy and Hawaii, uh, Nick, uh, I'm, I, I kind of want to start with this one first before we talk about <laughs> Dave Miranda going to Baylor, Todd Graham goes to Hawaii, which of course was his home. And this is his dream job. I mean, he's never said that in a press conference before. So, um, but, uh, what do you think about Todd Graham going to your rainbow warriors?
1: Uh, I, I will admit that when I first saw it, it was it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, and I have nothing against Todd Graham. I mean, he's one. He's, he's you know, he, as a college head, co- head coach, and, you know, you touched on it. He, he'd been four other places previously, including two stops where he was there for just a single year. So you're not necessarily thinking that, you know, perhaps he's going to be in it for the long haul. Uh, but who knows? But, uh, you know, it. it, it in uh from 2006 2017 he was a, uh, an fbs head coach uh every year and he won 95 games lost 61 he's won he, he's he he turned rice uh completely around in year one in his first year as a college head coach uh then at tulsa he did uh some really really exciting things one of which was hiring Gus Malzahn to uh, run his offense. And, and at that point, they were one of the most uh, back-to-back years, basically, at, at Tulsa, uh, put up two of the most incredible offensive seasons uh, in college football history to that point. I believe they were the first team that had a 5,000-yard passer, 1,000-yard rusher, and 2,000-yard receivers in the same season, something like that. Uh, and, and, you know, so much fun to watch. And I, I uh, was a huge Gus Malzahn fan at that point. And I think that sort of opened my eyes to uh, Todd Graham. uh, Some people don't remember is a defensive coach. He was a defensive coordinator at Tulsa. He was a co-defensive coordinator at West Virginia. He's a former high school coach. So, you know, he's, he's uh, most of the time when you hire a defensive minded guy, they're not going to, uh, Really, you know, a lot of guys are are scared to put a, a high powered, explosive offense together. They want to protect the defense, uh, but he's not like that. He he, you know, had some pretty rough uh, defensive numbers uh, some of his teams over over the years, but they were always pretty good on offense, and and to to me, that's a credit to him to to you know say. Uh, we're going to do the best we can to put our players in a position to be successful on the offensive side of the football. So, you know, for, for Hawaii fans out there, or, you know, if you're uh, CFF fans that, that were sad to see a, a high, you know, a prolific passing offense uh, move to Washington State from Hawaii and, and weren't quite sure what you're going to get there's still a good chance that they're going to be fun to watch offensively. I think Graham is probably going to uh, put together a staff that, you know, will will do some fun things on offense. He's got a great track record for hiring offensive coordinators, not just Malzahn. He hired Mike Norvell, who just, of course, uh, went from Memphis to Florida State, among others. So it's interesting. I I was a little bit let down at first because I thought it would be uh, kind of an opportunity for – you know, someone new to, to jump up and get a first time head coaching job. Uh, It's certainly a unique situation at Hawaii. And, and uh, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's a different place. I mean, it's what, 2000 miles away from its closest opponent and and just out, you know, uh, completely different culture, completely different. uh, Just it's a, it's a much different job than there is in college football. And, and, you know, there was an opportunity to perhaps go with somebody that was maybe more familiar with that. And I think that there could potentially. I, I certainly don't know. I don't, maybe, maybe Todd Graham spent every winter in Hawaii his entire life. I'm not sure, but
0: I'm sure he'll have a story it, about it if, even if he didn't. So.
1: Right, but but I I, you know I I envision perhaps there might be a little bit of a learning curve for somebody that uh, was in no way affiliated with the program before somebody who was who who you know when I first uh, I did not expect Dave Aranda necessarily to be the guy at Baylor that sort of came out of the blue uh, to me because the you know the last thing I had heard he was interested in the UNLV job and was seriously considering it and then did not you know, either didn't get it or pulled out because LSU was going to, you know, whatever the, the actual situation was. But Aranda spent some time at Hawaii. And so I think I tweeted this out. My initial thought was, if he was serious, you know, about wanting UNLV, then he might consider Hawaii. And that usually you would think would be, you know, the, the highest paid defensive coordinator in the country. You would not expect to take a significant pay cut to come to become a head coach at a a g5 school but he did have a background at hawaii been the defensive coordinator there uh in in a you know uh, earlier in the decade i thought maybe they'll just say, say all right make him say no and then if he says no then you know you look to maybe promote from within that certainly seemed like the most logical thing when this search started was that they would uh bring somebody up you know, from the offensive staff, promote them to head coach, and then you know, kind of keep keep the ball rolling. But uh, I was surprised that they went sort of out outside the box to Graham. But uh, the more I thought about it, you know, uh, Graham's won. He's done a good job. Uh, it did work out for him at Arizona State, but he did some good things um, fundraising wise there. That perhaps you know, Hawaii certainly needs some help in that area. Maybe he'll uh, be able to, to help some facility upgrades and, and things like that. Um, so I'm, I'm coming around to it, but my initial reaction was, I, I was a little bit, uh, it was a little bit disappointing, but, uh, certainly wish him all the best. Uh,
0: uh what about, um, uh, I mean, Xavier, do you have any comments about, Bay- um, uh, Todd Graham going to Hawaii? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what about, uh, Dave Aranda going to, well, ending up at Baylor's Xavier. I mean, were you surprised by I- this move?
2: <sighs> yes. I, I'll say I was surprised. I think it's time for him. It was time for him to make a move like this. Um, I think that he's done all he could with LSU. Um, we spoke earlier about how much talent they've lost. And that was, you know, that was pretty much his defense. He's been there since 2016. So these were kind of his guys. Um, you know, a lot of them have been there since either his first or second year at LSU. Um, and so the, this, this was kind of his core group of guys there grand Del pit and uh, and company so it's not surprising to see him kind of leave on top with his with his players uh, also going to the drafts at the same time so you're not really leaving any kids hanging per se uh, but at the same time this is a guy who's had LSU um, top 25 or better in total defense every single year he's been at LSU uh, this year they finished 25th uh, 2018 they finished 12th uh, 28 uh, 2017 they finished 10th. And the year he got there, they finished 25th. So he deserves it. I mean, he's he, he can recruit. He's moving to Baylor, which isn't too far away from Louisiana. The, the proximity from Texas to Louisiana isn't that far away. So he's still going to keep a lot of those connections, which is why I think that this job suits him so well, um, that he's going to be able to get some talent in Baylor. Uh, the only unfortunate part for him is that Baylor is losing a lot of defensive talent on what was if not mistaken, the best defense in the Big 12 this year, or one of the best defenses in the Big 12. Um, obviously, they lose their first three starters on, on the defensive line. They lose two starting linebackers uh, to graduation, or four, four linebackers total, two linebackers um, who are starting to graduation. He loses three in the secondary to graduation, one to early draft. Uh, and Roley, it's going to be really hard for him next season, coming back with uh, so, so, so much of a dearth of talent leaving but if anybody can get it done in the recruiting stage it's going to be Dave Aranda he's done such a good job at LSU I think he could he can do the same thing at Baylor who's coming up with a good year so he has legs to stand on uh Matt Rule has left him with a dearth of talent offensively and I think he's going to get the defense back to where they need to be to compete in the Big 12.
0: Nick what do you think about Aranda going uh going to Baylor?
2: It, it was a surprise but I think it's a
1: good fit I mean he, he seems to be uh he was ready you're absolutely right he, he was ready to be a head coach and and uh it seemed like for whatever reason you know he's not the most outgoing guy not the most uh exciting guy ball of energy uh that maybe some people gravitate to in a, in a head coaching search but he's a he's one of the brightest minds uh, brightest defensive minds in, in college football certainly and he's He's done it. He's he's done it at the highest level. He'd accomplished everything he could accomplish at LSU, winning a national championship, putting guys in the league year after year. Uh, so it was time, and, and this was a great spot. It, it seems like a, a perfect uh, perfect landing spot for him. He seems to be a good cultural fit. Um, seems to to you know have, have as you mentioned the the ties within the area. Uh, he started his coaching career as a uh, GA for Mike Leach at, at Texas Tech, so he right. spent time in Texas. He's uh, recruited the state, and and uh, so I think that uh, those relationships he'll be able to to build on. You're absolutely right that Baylor is is from a uh, returning production standpoint, they have a lot of holes to fill, and and uh, so it, it's perhaps going to be a, a situation where they might take a small step back. Uh, I think there's as a program certainly. Uh, have been moving in the right direction uh, over the you know the the last few years under Matt Rule, um, but they do lose a lot, and every every position group has an issue, and that includes quarterback because Charlie Brewer suffered multiple concussions this year. He also mm-hmm. left the uh, bowl game due to injury, so you know you have to to wonder unfortunately, you have to wonder if if that's something that's going to carry over into next year and and into the future. So uh, even though he's coming back, that's still a a little bit of a question. Uh, And then every other position group, they're losing um, at least one person with major starting experience, and and usually multiple people, as you outlined on uh, defense, and then they lose Denzel Mims. They lose Chris Platt in the uh, receiving core. They lose Jamichael Hasty at running back, who split time there with uh, you know two other guys coming back. But then they also lost uh, two full time starters on the offensive line. So every unit needs work, uh, and that can be difficult with a first time uh, head coach who's you know is a fairly high profile job. So he's not going to be scared by anything. Of course, he's been at LSU. He's been at all these places, uh, but it's you know often a transition period for a first time guy and and certainly with a roster that's in transition uh, might not be easy at first but it seems like a great fit for him and and again wish him all the best.
0: Now uh the the big thing that I wanted to talk about today and I feel like I've been very patient Nick you know I'm a <laughs> college fantasy football nerd so I am just uh, I really want to get your thoughts on uh, some of these transfers, but the biggest one is we finally got the landing spot for Derek King, and it is Miami, and I, I'm i happy and sad for two reasons. Number one, I'm happy because we don't have to see this stupid crap with uh, the, the quarterbacks coming in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out, so we don't have to play the uh, musical chairs with them anymore, but... I don't know that for fantasy purposes, our guy De'Aaron King is going to be an absolute first round must have stud pick anymore. So, I mean, he's still amazing, athletically gifted and all that stuff. But uh, Miami in their pro set is not it's not indicative to scoring 55 touchdowns. So. What did you think of this move of King to Miami? Do you think the fit is nice? And what is what does it mean for nerds like you and me for college fantasy?
1: <laughs> it it was a, another somewhat surprising at first uh, because I didn't, uh, you know, traditionally Miami has been pro style and, and has not in recent years lit up the scoreboard. Uh, but they, they have hired a new offensive coordinator, Rhett Lashley, who most recently was at SMU, uh, was uh, Gus Malzahn's right-hand man at Auburn for several years. And and then before that, actually, uh, a lot of people, of course, know that he, he played quarterback for Gus Malzahn in high school. So uh, he has a much different profile uh, than the Miami that, that we're used to. So I, I think in some ways perhaps you're in luck that this year, you know, 2020 Miami hopefully will look a little bit different than uh, 2019 and and previous years Miami uh, offensively because Lashley is, you know, he's an up-tempo guy and and, uh, a lot of that has been up-tempo to run in the past, uh, but SMU Last year, we, you know, he spent time with uh, Sonny Dykes and, and really was able to uh, sort of uh, piece together some of the air raid concepts that Dykes is so well known for with some of the uh, tipo spread to run uh, and really, in a lot of ways, power running game uh, from Lashley's time at Auburn. And, and SMU did some, some great things. I mean, they had uh, a running back that tied for the Lead with 23 rushing touchdowns, and then they also uh, were throwing the ball all over the place with you know Shane Bouchelle and a talented group of receivers. So I think King is a good fit for Rhett Lashley. Uh, I I'm very interested to see how much they throw. I'm very interested to see what sort of progress the offensive line can make, because even though everyone is expected to return that played any significant staffs on the offensive line, that unit was, was not good. Uh, they were just victimized in week one uh, by Florida. And then, you know, they got better over the course of the year, but they were never you know particularly good. So uh, they do return a lot of, a lot of production, a lot of players coming back uh, at, running back and receiver as well so he's got weapons around him and, and it is good I think you brought up a great point that you would have to expect he's the guy you're not going to rotate you know Williams or Perry and you know Martell it seems is just not going to be a guy anyway so uh that's certainly a good thing give it give the ball to King and and uh watch him make plays and, and he's got a history of doing some really Outstanding things, and and Lashley uh, has had some quarterbacks that were very similar. Nick Marshall at Auburn is is sort of a similarly built guy with a similar skill set to De'Eric King, and and he had you know a couple of really good years for Auburn. So uh, it'll it'll certainly be fun to see. I think Miami takes a step in the right direction. Uh, these things do often take time. So a first year offensive coordinator and a first year quarterback might not be you know fireworks immediately but they certainly have the ingredients to to do some good things and and uh, so again initial thought was maybe oh uh, that you know he could, he maybe he could do better but then after thinking about it I I'm, I'm warming up to it
0: so xavier what did you think about De'Aaron king to miami
2: i mean at first i thought it was a suicidal move on his part um, <laughs> you know when when you look at a offensive line that gave up what I mean. I mean, season totals to to Florida in one game it, it, to a guy, and going from Houston, where he didn't really have a great offensive line, to Miami, and once again doesn't have a great offensive line. It felt like a weird move, but for him, it makes sense. You're going to a top tier program at least with by name. You're going to play in some big games next year. Um, you know, you're, you're playing in a conference that's going to make sure that you're on television. If you're not on ESPN or ESPN2 or ESPNU, you're going to be on the ACC network uh, because Miami is such a big name. So it's going to give him the the opportunity to at least show his talents, um, even amongst a bad offensive line. Heck, we saw it this year with Bryce Perkins. Virginia didn't have a great offensive line either. However, you know, he was on, you know, television so many times and able to show his talent that by the end of the year, we understood he was a good football player, even though his offensive line may have sucked. And that's what I see for, from this move from Dery King. Uh, Nick, just to allude to your point about a first-year quarterback and a first-year offensive uh, coordinator, I will say that they do have a a relatively decent start to next year that may allow them to uh, get the ball rolling. Uh, If you look at their season to start off, first off, they start off with three straight home games, and they're against Temple, Wagner, and UAB. Um, Those three games, I think, are going to be very crucial to them getting the ball rolling. As that fourth game, they have to go to East Lansing and play Michigan State. Um, a team that should be better than what they were this year, although they are losing their starting quarterback and uh, Daryl Stewart is, where the, is their starting receiver. Um, so I think that that's going to be huge in them because you're absolutely right. A first year OC and a first year quarterback, we saw it with Joe Burrow um, and Joe Brady. It didn't go swimmingly, although, you know, Joe Brady's not wasn't the, you know, set in stone OC. Um, he was the third and 10 plus um, OC. It still didn't go swimmingly in year one. They went, what, eight and five. Um, and at times Joe Burrow looked very up and down. So you're absolutely right. This chemistry needs to build this off season and they have to get going relatively early. Go ahead, Nick. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I like your point about
1: the the schedule and, and that is about as good as uh, a start. You could hope for not pushovers temple and UAB, but games right. that Miami certainly should win. So an opportunity to test themselves, but also uh, should, you know, uh, have a, a, a distinct advantage and and uh if i'm not mistaken joe brady was in his first year this year uh okay, but yeah. uh but you know so the, it, it's an interesting thing because uh, uh you brought up him as a great example of somebody who in a, in a first year uh can have such a huge impact and, and move a team forward and, and i'm sure we'll um you know, mentioned this as well. Georgia now has a a new offensive Mm -hmm. coordinator. They've got a graduate transfer quarterback coming in. So there's certainly some hope uh, that that will be a perfect marriage and they'll be able to, to, you know, hit the, hit the ground running and and whatever cliche I haven't used yet. So uh, (laughs) the uh, you know, so, so these things can work. It's just, there's so many unknowns that I personally I am hesitant to to put a lot of stock in, like, okay, now it's fixed. They got De'Aaron King. They got Rhett Lashley. Both of them have had success. Other places put them together. They're guaranteed success. doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it it certainly does, and and I'm hopeful that it will because I I do think that, uh, you know, college football is is better when somebody like Miami, as talented as they are, is uh, a threat. And and at the end of the year, specifically last year, they certainly were not. So uh, I I hope that uh, these two, you know, come together and and can revitalize uh, that offense because similar to LSU, they're very talented. They just haven't, you know, Kept up with the times, or, or you know, whatever. They just haven't gotten the most out of their talent. So it'll certainly be fun to see uh, what they do if if they're able to modernize things and and uh, play with a little more, uh, you know, a little more tempo and and take better advantage of uh, the talent advantages they've gotten, and speed and things like that.
0: Now we had Felipe Franks go to Arkansas, and we're pairing him with Kendall Bryle, so. Uh, I mean, maybe uh, exciting for uh, CFF guys, but I don't know in, in the big picture if this is nearly as exciting as the Eric King. Uh, what do you think about this one, Nick?
1: Yeah, I, I basically could repeat everything that I just said. I mean, you know, Franks, I, I, I think, was higher on him than a lot of people coming into last year, and unfortunately suffered the, the just severe, uh, leg injury. And, and so we didn't get to see him, uh, much after the first few games. Bryles has performed most of, you know, his, his got a strong track record. He was the play caller when D. R. King, uh, accounted for 50 touchdowns a couple of years ago. So, uh, he certainly has some history, but the, the pieces aren't quite there like they are in Miami. So, uh, I think, you know, same thing when the first time, uh, uh, O.C., not first-time O.C., but his first year uh, coming in a new system and, and then a new quarterback in his first year, uh, you hope that they'll be able to, to mesh well and, and be a, a solid team to start and build a foundation at Arkansas. But uh, though they've recruited well, or they recruited well under Chad Morris, uh, the pieces just aren't quite there, or as many of them, as many building blocks as there are at Miami. So I don't... Love this as much, uh, or you know, I, I am a little more hesitant to expect success than I uh, would be at Miami. But it'll be interesting to see because Frank's has a, a cannon. He's he's was somewhat mobile. Hopefully, he'll be a hundred percent and you know still be mobile uh, once he recovers fully. And Briles does some interesting things and, and has had some success in the past. So uh, hopefully, it'll you know at least give Arkansas fans uh, uh, some more excitement than they've had the last couple of years.
0: And Xavier, what do you think about Felipe Franks going to Arkansas?
2: I mean, this is the best quarterback they've had since Ryan Mallett. So that's a plus. Oh, um, oh Ryan Mallett.
0: Oh man. You, Matt Jones <laughs> was pretty good before him too. So is this true?
2: Is This true. But Ryan Mallett was my generation. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Oh,
0: excuse me. <laughs> right. too old for uh, matt jones you were probably uh, a baby no. when matt jones was doing rails off of uh, the dashboard <laughs> with a walmart card i that guy just wasted his uh entire potential but i mean one of many guys to do that so
2: yeah yeah i mean he also went to play for the jaguar so Not much else to do out there in Jacksonville. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) This was after he got cut. It was in an Arkansas Walmart parking lot, as I remember. Oh, that's so but I mean, it just just makes too much sense.
2: But yeah, so same thing with Felipe Franks. Uh, The only unfortunate part is that Arkansas doesn't start with nearly as easy as a schedule uh, that Miami does. They start with Nevada. Then they go play at Notre Dame. And then they go to Starkville. And then... Just to round out the fourth game of the season, they go to Arlington to play uh, against Texas A&M. So for Felipe Franks, I mean, it's going to be a positive that he knows the conference. Um, Obviously, that's always a positive. However, in my opinion, he's on the tougher end now, now playing in the SEC West. Um, You know, I guess to see Alabama and LSU and Auburn, um, as well as the teams I just named in Notre Dame, Texas A&M. So it's really going to be imperative that those two get on track very early on in the year. And it's just a tough situation if you really think about it all the way through. You got Sam Pittman coming in in his first year, Felipe Franks in his first year, and a brand new offensive uh, offensive coordinator also in their first first year. It's going to go be a lot of growing pains. Um, it's a little weird for me if I'm Felipe Franks to be honest with you. I'm a guy who right now isn't high on many people's draft boards, and is going to need a really good year to, to like a Joe, not a Joe Burrow esque year. But he's going to need a great year to, to, to rise up draft boards and, and be a viable option next season um, to be drafted. And uh, to go to such a, a porous team that was Arkansas this year, and the only positives are really all turnover, so you really don't know how those pieces are necessarily going to fit in, it's
0: a little odd if you ask me. All right, the rest of these moves here Jet Duffy to Central Michigan, uh, Jake Bentley to Utah, Nick Starkle to San Jose State, Colin Hill's going to South Carolina. Um, I like he said every scholarship Vanderbilt quarterback is in the the portal here. Then we had some non QBs: Theo Howard to Oklahoma, that should be good for CFF. Uh, Rutgers defense, Coy Cronk to Iowa, Trange Tr- uh, Davis to Wake Forest, and then uh, Herbert Blackshear to Vautech. Uh UConn has a bunch of guys too. So, uh, any other interesting ones in that group?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by some of the, the lower ends here. Uh, Vanderbilt, it, it, what, I don't understand what's going on. I mean, they had, <laughs> they had a grad transfer coming in does Vanderbilt. last year. <laughs> right. Riley Neal was the starter for, for most of the year. He had some injury issues. Some other guys got, uh, you know, playing to got starts. I think they have four different starting quarterbacks. They're all gone. Three of the other, you know, one graduated, the other three are, are, in the transfer portal, they have no scholarship quarterbacks uh, currently. You know, not in the transfer portal. So that that's just very intriguing to me. What what's uh, going on there offensively? Uh, I'm I'm very intrigued by Rutgers. What Greg Shiano's doing when uh, sort of all the you know the the rumors and speculation and everything about him getting the job. There was talk about uh, part of his plan was to rebuild through the transfer portal. And, and it's something that uh, Illinois actually did a, a pretty good job of plugging some key holes coming into last season. They were able to uh, parlay that into uh, and somewhat unexpected bull bid. I don't know that Rutgers is going to be able to, to do that just in year one, but it seems that shiano is uh, really going to sort of, you know, push maybe this more than uh, we've seen uh, maybe even more so than, than Miami has in, in, you know, the last, uh, last year. So are they going to be able to rebuild through transfers uh, and, and, you know, they've added some pretty good guys, especially on defense and, and uh, from Shiano's time at, at Ohio state they got a couple of guys with Ohio state ties. They brought in a a guy who uh, has starting experience at Michigan uh, to play uh, on the defensive line, and, and then they added Aaron Cruikshank from Wisconsin, a, a wide receiver who returned a kickoff for a touchdown in the Rose Bowl and was you know, in line to, to potentially, excuse me, uh, potentially be you – know, to, to step maybe into that Quintess Cephas role that we were talking about earlier. So I'm intrigued by Rutgers. I think that they have an opportunity to be uh, much improved – uh, but uh, it'll it'll just be fun to watch, you know, what this final product looks like. Looks like because it sounds like Shiano might be interested in bringing in, I don't know, a dozen guys or something. And and you know, if, if those guys uh, play to their potential, then then it could be a fairly quick turnaround, or at least close the gap between Rutgers and the you know the other teams in the bottom half of the Big Ten. But then UConn is uh, basically. Lost an entire recruiting class. I mean, they've got 23 guys. Last I saw in the transfer portal, and this is a team that wasn't good to begin with. So, what what are they going to be looking like? I mean, it's going to be UConn versus UMass for uh, you know the race to 130. I think so. Uh, just sort of intrigued to some of these sort of lower end, uh, not very highly uh, regarded programs at this point you know at this point sort of what's going on with these, these transfers there's so many moving parts and
0: I'm fascinated to see it play out Xavier do any of those other transfers interest you
2: yeah I think Nick Starkle uh definitely uh, interests me because maybe he's finally found a home uh you know he he started off well at am we all remember him kind of riding uh, the ship at am in his first year in 2017. He didn't play. He got supplanted at quarterback by Mond in 2018. 2019, he transfers to Arkansas, but can't hold on to the job while there. Uh, now heading to a San Jose State, San Jose State program. Um, this reminds me a little bit of uh, Blake Barnett kind of moving all over the country and finally landing at USF. Hopefully it turns out better for Starkle um, as a former uh, SEC quarterback. He should play better uh, in a lesser conference. Hopefully that's the case. Uh, another one that obviously, you know, staying in the SEC, Jake Bitley heading to Utah. Utah loses Tyler Huntley, and they get a guy who, although he's coming off of a midfoot injury that kept him out all of last year, we really thought Jake Bentley was going to take that big time leap. I mean, you just look at his stats and every year at um, at uh, South Carolina, he just got better uh, freshman year, 1400 yards, sophomore year, 2700 yards and junior year, uh, 3,100 yards. You just kind of expected him to make that expert leap in his senior year. It just didn't happen for him. Obviously the Helinski brother takes his spot but Utah gets a really good player and a really good kid. Um, and, and I like Utah. Uh, we talked earlier about how much production they're losing. So that sucks for Bentley in that regard. However, Utah is a program that I think with Bentley at quarterback, if he can be what he was at South Carolina, can still be around the, the top of the Pac-12 that's losing a lot of talent anyways. Um, and I think Utah can, once again, if he can play up to his ability, can possibly contend, once again, depending on how well he plays, obviously.
0: All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for CFB Winning Edge today. Nick, tell everybody about the Patreon.
1: Yeah, so I mentioned it briefly, the uh, FBS team profiles. If it's your first time listening to us, if you're interested in uh, supporting this podcast and and sort of the work that we're doing also behind the scenes, uh, check us out at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. If you sign up as a Tier 2 patron, you get access to uh, our 2019 FBS team profiles, where we have uh, an individual player rating for every player in college football. I'm going through right now, making sure all the depth charts are as perfect as they can be. All those ratings are correct. Adding all their production points from uh, different statistical benchmarks that they've gotten throughout the course of the year, and and sort of tidying everything up for 2019. And at the same time, getting started on the 2020 fbs team profiles our goal is to make those available to patrons by march 1st and uh so trying to to work through those we've got uh three conferences done big 10 will be finished up at the end of this week and then uh moving along should be uh on schedule to be done by march 1st and get those out and, and really start hitting 2020 hard so patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. We would love for you to support our podcast. It's a tier one patron, but if you want a little bit more uh, tier two has a a lot of great information for you and and hoping to make it better and better in 2020.
0: All right. That's going to wrap it up for us. You can find us all on Twitter at Bogman sports at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E and at CFB winning edge. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.